If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 15. We're going to read this this morning and just let God talk to our hearts and to our spirits, okay? Let's read. When, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And then he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Verse 16. And he divided 300 men into three camps, or three companies, and put trumpets into their hands, and all of them empty jars. Kind of weird, right? Trumpets and empty jars. With torches inside of the jars 17 and he said to them look at me and do likewise and when i come to the outskirts of the camp do as i do when i blow the trumpet i and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the lord and for gideon verse 19 so gideon and the hundred of men who were in who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. And when they had just set the watch, they blew the trumpets, they smashed the jars with their hands. Verse 20. And then the three companies blew their trumpets and broke their jars that they held in their hands and the torches in their right hands and the trumpets to blow. And they cried out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, verse 21, we've got a couple more verses and we'll be done. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all of the army ran. I want you to hear that. All of the army ran. They cried out, and they fled. And when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Bethishtah toward Zariah, as far as the border of Abel, Maloa, and Tabith. I know I butchered those last names, but we live in East Tennessee. Come on, somebody, okay? You know, give me grace and mercy this morning. But let's pray real quick. Lord, we ask right now in the name of Jesus that you just take this word, mold our hearts, shape our hearts, lead us and guide us to be better followers of you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. How many people loves a good redemption story or a good, like a, a, a movie that has a, uh, just a big ending that makes you feel good inside, right? I think we all do. Some that come to mind for me, I'm a 90s kid, so forgive me, but uh, Free Willy, y'all remember Free Willy? Free Willy comes in like, Free Willy's, uh, Willy's trapped in the, in the, I would say a zoo or uh, like a SeaWorld type of setting, and he doesn't belong there. Why? Because he's a wild orca, Right? And then you see the end, dude's like, yeah, and the, and the whale jumps over him, and then Michael Jackson's like, yeah, and all that stuff. So, Free Willy, awesome. Rudy, y'all know who I'm talking about when I say Rudy? Come on, Fighting Irish, Rudy, Rudy, that dude at the end, okay? Toy Story 3 and 4, I don't know if you all have seen those, but uh, they are, I still get teary-eyed, guys, I'm 31 years old, and it still messes with me. But the underdog who wins the big game, right? We know you all kind of get where I'm going, right? Dirty dancing. Nobody puts baby in a corner. You know? At the end, they're together. They nail the lift. Right? That's what makes that part of the movie so great. Right? For no other reason, the lift. Boom! They nail it. Right? And we feel good. 
I can't dance worth anything, but at the end of Dirty Dancing or Grease, I want to try my best to dance, and I just can't do it, okay? And why do we feel that way? I'll tell you why. It's mostly because the dramatized scripting that's been matched with the perfect score of music to get us into this mindset, and it enhances our minds and our emotions to latch on to what we have just witnessed and put ourselves in those shoes. Right? Like I said, I can't dance and I'm like doing all, I want to go dance on a tree somewhere to, to hey baby, you know? That's what I want to do. But there is something more to why we connect to those movies. And what it is, is we want to win. It's engraved in us to win. We want to succeed. We want to come out with victory. And the reason why we latch on to those movies like that is because in reality, we feel like we rarely do win. And so when we see someone else win, we're like, hope. Right? Come on, somebody. But here's the, here's the truth this morning. And I might not be up here long today, but I feel like this is going to be powerful and it's going to be impactful for us. The truth is this is that we often get comfortable or used to failure and defeat. See, the Midians had defeated, if you look back in chapter 6 of the book of Judges, you would see this information that I'm getting ready to give you. So I encourage you, go home and read Judges 6 and read Judges 7 in whatever translation you can understand the best because this will bring life to you. But the Midians had defeated the Israelites. And not only had they defeated them, they had ruled over them for seven years. For seven years. Judges 6 actually says that the Israelites would plant plants and they would begin to harvest. And when they would begin to harvest, the Midians and the Amalekites would come and they would set up camps around them and they would put pressure on the Israelites, and they would come and they would start taking their harvests, they would start taking all of their donkeys, they would start taking any of their oxen, anything that had value to them, they would take their children as slaves. And the Bible says that this happened for seven years. For seven years. And it also says that they would come and that the number would be so vast that it looked like grasshoppers or locusts had come against them. Just a number so vast and so huge that they felt outnumbered. And they found themselves, here's the kicker, I want you to grab this this morning. They found themselves in a routine of defeat. They found themselves in a routine of failure of defeat, of loss, of negativity, of wanting more but never getting more, wanting freedom but never having freedom. They were subject to the Midian. And they found themselves in that place for seven years. I would dare say that whenever they would begin to plant seeds or they would begin to try to raise cattle or raise oxen, 
that they would say, what's the point? Why try? Because the Midians and the Amalekites, they're going to come again. They do this all the time. They're going to come and everything that I have, they're going to take from me. What's the point of even trying to get ahead of life? Because we are stuck in a rut of defeat and failure. I was thinking about this, and you know, I have a one-year-old son, so we watch a lot of cartoons. Okay? Now, I like to use that as an excuse, but before he came along, I watched a lot of cartoons. Okay? And so, but I started listening to this, and the other day, we were sitting on, t- uh, sitting there on the bed, and, and he, we kind of let him start picking out what he wants to watch now, right? And we're like, what do you want to watch? He's like, ah, ah. you know, he can't say nothing, but he sees something that he wants to watch, and he points, ah, you know? And so I saw what I knew he was talking about, and then I saw what I thought he was talking about, which was what I wanted to watch. Okay, and so it was the movie A Bug's Life. Y'all ever? How many people in here have seen A Bug's Life? Come on. All right. Thank you. Come on. Come through, '90s children. Thank you. Come through, parents of '90s children. All right. Thank you. All right. So the thing is, is that A Bug's Life. I couldn't believe this. I, I told my wife this last night. I was like, "You need to hear this, because this blows my mind." Okay. There's a main character in A Bug's Life named Flick. And Flick is an ant. He's an innovative innovative ant. He's a creator. He wants to create things. And and so Flick's colony had fell into a routine of harvesting enough food for themselves, but harvesting extra food. Why? Because the grasshoppers would come annually and take away what they had worked for to save. When I tell you that my mind popped off my shoulders, my head exploded. I said, holy cow, Pixar and Disney is not creative at all. They stole this from the Bible. It's right there in in Judges chapter 6 and 7. And what happened? The ant colony had found themselves in a rut of always expecting the grasshoppers to come and take everything they had worked for, everything they had labored for, everything they had built up, until Flick messes up one day, and it's all gone. He destroys the reserve of everything that they had saved. Absolutely destroyed it. It was gone. So they had nothing for themselves, and they had nothing for the grasshoppers. So when the grasshoppers show up, What happens? He threatens them. He's like, look, you're going to bring us this much by this time. He said, when the last leaf falls off the tree, he said, if you don't have this much for us, we're going to destroy you. We're going to wipe out your colony. Right? So what happens? They begin to work. But then they get fed up, and they decide that they're going to fight back. Come on, somebody. I hope you either grab this right now, or you grab it going down the road. I don't care when you get it. Just get it. Okay? Hang on with me. But the thing is, is they begin to decide that they were going to fight back. And here is the quote from Hopper, who is the lead grasshopper. Imagine that. Hopper makes this statement. Okay? This is what he says. The other grasshoppers, they begin to question him. Why should we even go back? We have enough. We have enough food here. We don't need to go back because it's a long journey. We don't want to do it. Here's what Hopper said. 
He said, you let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. He said, those puny little ants outnumber us 100 to 1. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. He said, it's not about the food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Now you must be thinking, Pastor Joe, why are you talking to us about a bug's life? What's this got to do with us? Here's the thing. The truth is, is that the grasshoppers didn't actually have victory over the ants. They just, the ants just thought that they had victory over them. I'm going to say it again. The grasshoppers really didn't have victory over the ants. The ants just thought that the grasshoppers had victory over them. Over them. And it's the same thing with us this morning. I want you to hear this. Just like the Israelites who were surrounded by what did the Bible say? So many that it looked like what? Grasshoppers. I'm telling you, my mind exploded when I read this out loud. Anyway, they look like grasshoppers and two all the way to the ants in the movie of Bugs Life. They were surrounded by literal grasshoppers. We often find ourselves in the same rut of defeat. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, we find ourselves in the same rut because we have allowed our mind, not actual defeat, not actual failure, not actual struggle, but our minds, we've allowed our minds to believe that there is no way out of the patterns that we're locked into. There's no way out. Have you ever found yourself in this pattern? You ready? Here we go. Try real hard. Fail. Repent. Try real hard. Fail. Repent. Have you all ever found yourself in that? Come on, somebody. The truth is, is that every single one of us in this room have found ourselves in, locked in that rut. Try real hard, fail, repent. And we come back to God and we're like, Lord, I can't do it. And then the enemy tells us, it's because you're defeated. And what do we start doing? Believing it. I used to be this guy. Try real hard, fail, and say, what's the use? Lord, what's the point? Why? If I'm constantly going to fail, if I'm constantly going to, you know, lack of better words, please forgive me, screw up. Some of us have a place where we just get to and we can't succeed past that point. I don't know about you, but there are things still in my life that I constantly wake up every morning and battle. Why? Because I've allowed the enemy to put it in my mind that I'm already defeated and I'm never going to get over it. And I'm never going to conquer it. And I'm never going to get past it. And I'm never going to get rid of it. Let me ask you this. Do you want out of that pattern? I want out of that pattern. And the truth is, a lot of times we have subliminally already accepted defeat and failure. So much to the point, we have learned to live with it. Remember, every year, the Israelites were being... Pressed. Things were being taken from them. Harvests was being taken from them. Every year, the ants had to put more away for the grasshoppers. Why? Because they finally got so used to failing 
that they accepted this is life now. When in reality, it wasn't life. It's what they had accepted life to be. I want you to know this this morning. You can, all capitals, you can get past that rut of living. You can. You can. You can get past whatever it is. That anger, that doubt, that worry, that depression, that hatred, that porn, that addictions, whatever it is, you can get past it. How? You have to realize that it's not a real victory that the enemy has over you. It's just a victory that you've given him in your mind. Come on, somebody. Why? Why can we do that? How can we really give that away? Because here's number two. Here's the reason why we can. Because it's not what it seems. It's not what it looks like. See, Gideon was concerned. Let me tell you a little bit more about Gideon. Gideon was concerned, as I had already stated, about the Midians and the Amalekites because they outnumbered them greatly. What if I told you this? Gideon started with an army that had 20,000 people. And God looked at him and said, you have too many. What? I don't know about you, but when the odds are in my favor and God tells me the odds are too much in my favor, what? He says, you've got too many people. And so here's what Gideon done. He's like, if you all are scared and you want to go home, leave. And the Bible said that thousands left. And he went to God. He's like, all right, Lord, there you go. I dwindle them down. He's like, what now? And the Lord said, you still have too many. What? He said, all right, I don't want you to do this. He said, I want you to take them to a river and the ones who drink out of their hands like a cup, send them home. And the ones who lap the water like a dog out of the river, keep them. So guess what happens? He goes to the river. And 300 jokers get down on the ground and lap the water like a dog out of the river. And God said, there you go. There's the ones you need. I don't know about you, but if my army went down from 20,000 to 300, I'd be scared too. Especially when the Bible says that the numbers outweigh them so much that they look like grasshoppers. I don't know about you, but that's a scary place to be. But here's the thing. It's not what it seems. What do you mean by that, Pastor Joe? Well, it appeared, it looked like to Gideon that they were going to walk out there and just get slaughtered. Why? Because his numbers were smaller than they were Previously, everything that he had going in his favor looked like it was ripped away. It looked like they were surrounded. It looked like they were defeated. It looked like, again, for the eighth year in a row, they were going to have to give up everything that they worked so hard for. It looked to Gideon like defeat was inevitable. Come on, somebody. And I just told you while we get in the same spots with our minds and in our hearts, where sometimes we just feel like it's inevitable that we're defeated. However, when you are down to nothing is when God does His best work. I'm going to say it again. When you are down to where you have nothing to offer, where if you went out there with your own might, you and your big strong 300 men, you would be destroyed. And can I encourage you with something this morning? 
If you are there right now, in your spirit, in your heart, you are at the perfect place for God to do something miraculous in your life. Come on, hear me this morning. You might feel like you are at the end of your rope and you have a knot tied in that bad boy and you're hanging on, screaming like you're tubing on the river. Come on, somebody. The truth is, is you are down to nothing and that's when God can do His best work. That's when God could do His best work. I want to tell you all a quick story. There's a painting in Europe titled Checkmate. I knew you all were thinking, when are we going to talk about chess? You've done it all month long. <laughs> well, here it is. They would play tournament games in front of this painting. And it's in Paris. And on one side of the painting is a depiction of the devil. And on the other side of the painting is a young guy about 16 years or 17 years old. And they're playing chess. And the devil has this leering, triumphant expression on his face. And he had just defeated this young guy at chess. Now, first of all, I want to time out right here. What does it say about the devil that he's excited that he defeated a teenager in chess? Come on, somebody. You know, that's like the devil went down to Georgia and he got his butt kicked by a country boy playing a fiddle. You know, some deity you are, devil. You know, <laughs> anyway, side notes. That's my mind goes there. I am the real pastor. I, I, you know, I, there's not somebody else coming, so just hang in there. Anyway, but the boy is sitting there, and his head's bowed, and he's defeated, and there's tears rolling down his cheeks because the devil had just won this game of chess. And the guy has no more strength. He has no more will. He's given up, and there's not a way out. And the title of this picture is called Checkmate. Now, if you know anything about chess, the objective of chess is to surround the king to the point that they cannot move anymore. You've trapped the king, okay? But the devil had him. Here's the thing. A famous chess player came through one day, and he stepped back, and he was looking at that painting, and he felt sorry. He felt sorry for the young guy who had been defeated, and he... And he hated the look that was on the devil's face, right? You can only imagine. And he began to study the board where the men were playing and where they had placed their pieces. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he said, Son, I have found a move. I found a move. And if you will make that move, you can defeat the devil. And then he forgot. He forgot that he wasn't looking at something real. He was looking at a painting. Because he was so engrossed in this painting, but he realized that there was one more move that that young man could take. There was one more move that would change the outcome of that game. And the truth is, is we have all been there. Every single one of us in this room, we have our battles, we have our disappointments, we have our failures, and it seems like we're surrounded, it seems like we're defeated, we feel like there's no hope. We feel like there's no victory. And we have already admitted defeat with tears on our face. But let me tell you this this morning. God has set us up for a plan. And that plan is, is that there is still one more move. There's still one more move. But here's the thing. 
is not just any kind of plan. It's a plan that confuses the enemy. The enemy thought he knew how we were going to respond to these events. Why? Because we've responded to them for the same way up until now. He knew. He knew he could get us with this tactic. Why? Because up till now, we've responded the same way. He knew if he brought this in, he would win. Why? Because up till now, we've responded with the exact same thing. And that's exactly what the, the Midians and the, Amic uh, the Amalekites, they thought they had it figured out. Why? Because for seven years, this is the way the Israelites responded. But here's what happened. And we read it in the Scripture. God told them what to do. And 300 men scattered themselves around the army. And the Bible says that at that second watch, they came in, they blew their horns, they shattered all of the pots that they had, and they shouted, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. Here's what the Bible said happened. It confused the enemy so much that they begin to turn on each other and destroy each other. And that's what God wants to do through you this morning. He wants to confuse the enemy. That way he turns on himself and he doesn't realize that what you've done up to this point is not what you're going to do moving forward. It's not just a plan that exists, but it's a plan that confuses the enemy. Why? Because there's still one more move. There's still one more move. And here's the thing about that move. A lot of people don't know this, but in chess, every single character has moves. They can move only a certain way. Even the king. And this painting that had been depicted all of the other characters moved except for one, the king. And I want to encourage you this morning that the king has the final move. It has the final move in your life. The king has the final move. As I said in the painting you know, previously, that move could only be made by the king. Gideon heard from the Lord. That's what broke the routine of the Amalekites coming in and the, the Midians coming in and taking over their lives and destroying their hopes and destroying their dreams. They heard from the Lord and they moved as the king told them to move. And I want to encourage you this morning. All you have to do is realize you're not defeated. You just got to let the king move. You got to let the king move in your life. Just like then, today, the king has the final move. Do you know what the Bible says? Let me just let me throw this out here. Can I can I just be very very plain and, and simple this morning? If you were taught that salvation was the most important thing in your life, you've missed a bunch of steps. You've missed a bunch of opportunities. What do you mean by that, Pastor Joe? Well, here's the thing. How many people want to go to heaven? I don't know anybody who wants to go to hell, right? And I know a bunch of people who got saved just because they want to go to heaven. And they could care less what happened past that point. But here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. The same spirit and power that saves you from hell saves you from your sin. Can destroy the yokes of sin. It has. It has. The works of the cross has destroyed the yoke of sin. We are not slaves to sin anymore. Do you know what that means? We have a choice. We have an option. Why? Because Jesus, the King of what? Kings. Made the final move already for you. 
And He went to the cross. And He laid down His life. Not so you could just be saved. That you could be free from the things that are tormenting you. Holding you captive. And you've allowed the enemy to tell you that you don't have a way out of it. That you're already defeated. That you're already destroyed. That you're already overcome. That there's no point in even trying. Remember, we talked about all this already. And the final move was already made when Jesus came to the cross. The only thing we have to do is accept the fact that we already have victory. I don't know about you, but it it seems too simple, doesn't it? But all we have to do is accept that we have victory. You already have victory today. I don't feel like I have victory, Pastor Joe. Well, neither did the ants and neither did the Israelites. They didn't feel like they had victory, but there came a point in the time where they said, okay, this battle's not my battle. It belongs to the Lord. And Jesus already went to the cross and already made the move on my half. I have got to decide this morning that I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave to anger. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm not a slave to addiction. I'm not a slave to pornography. I'm not a slave to these things. I am free from these things. Why? Because the king was the one who had the final move. Up until this point, everything I've talked about has been us moving towards the will of God and towards the work of God. But how many people know that we can only do so much? Jesus done the rest of it. Amen. Victory is literally at your disposal. Don't let the enemy and the grasshoppers rule your mind. Don't let them rule your mind. What do you mean by that, Pastor Joe? Truth is, is that every single one of us in here, there's something that the enemy or grasshoppers have told you about yourself and you've believed it. I'll never get past this. I'll never stop doing this. You know, And we love to do this, don't we? Thank God for grace. Thank God for mercy. You know, Paul made this statement here. And this is a very tough statement. It's a very true statement, but it also requires from not only God, but from us. He said, grace abounds. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. That's what he said. Which is God's part. He said, but because we have grace, should we continue to sin? God forbid. And what he's saying is, is quit sinning. You don't have to sin anymore. You're not a slave to sin anymore. Walk away from it. You're victorious. It's not a ruler over you. It's not your, as one translation would say, your master. It's not your master. Why did the grasshoppers, I mean, why did the ants give in to the grasshoppers? They looked at them as masters. Because they had authority over them. Here's what you need to learn this morning. This is what we need to take this morning and engrave into our hearts. We are not walking in defeat. We are walking in victory. And in every scenario, two people waging war against each other, someone comes out the victor. Hear that. When war is waged, someone comes out the victor. And some of us have already made up in our mind that our enemy has won. Spoiler alert. He didn't win. We are the winners. The Bible says we're the head, not the tail. We're above, not beneath. What does that mean, Pastor Joe? That whatever you are subjecting yourself to doesn't have a real victory over you. It's just a mental thing. It's just a mental thing. 
I, Pastor Joe, you don't know what I face. You're right, I don't, but I sure know what I face. And I know that God's delivered me and He's restored me and He's brought me out of some dark, crazy holes that I don't ever want to go back down. And the only thing that ever brought me out of it was the work of the cross of salvation of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you know who God is and you believe in the Lord, you are not subject to what you have been going through. The enemy's just playing mind games with you. And when you bow to it, he wins. He wins. He wins. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? Hey, everybody. Pastor Joe Ayers here. Just wanted to thank you so much for joining us in our worship services today online. If you're interested, reach out to us and tell us what God's doing through your life. Or if you want to talk to us about salvation, feel free to contact us. But if not, we will see you next Sunday at the same time on Facebook Live.